Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Hello, my name is Leslie Flores. I'm a covenant member. I get to serve with Well Kids, and I attend Sendero Hills Community Group. Yeah. And today I'm going to read Psalms 126 in Spanish. Cuando Jehová hiciere volver la cautividad de Sion, seremos como los que sueñan. Entonces nuestra boca llenará de risa y nuestra lengua de alabanzas. Entonces dirán las naciones, grandes cosas ha hecho Jehová con estos. Grandes cosas ha hecho Jehová con nosotros y estaremos alegres. Haz volver nuestra cautividad, oh Jehová, como los arroyos del Negev. Los que sembraron con lágrimas, con regocijo, segarán. Irán andando y llorando el que lleva la preciosa semilla, mas volverá a venir con regocijo, trayendo sus cabillas. This is the word of the Lord. All right. What's up, y'all? How are we? Good, good. Thanks for reading that. Um, man, even as we talk about celebration today, uh, I think hearing uh, the affirmation of and towards God in different languages is a reason to celebrate. Uh, Like, the Bible wasn't written in English, right? And so all of us are actually recipients of even what this psalm talks about, of the gospel going into the nations. And so even hearing that and remembering that in our own body, I think is worth celebrating. So I love it. I love y'all. I'm excited. We ready? All right, cool. Uh, Well, as a reminder, we are on our second to last week in our series, Mountains and Valleys. As mentioned, we feel like, man, this is going to be a Joel 2 season for a lot of people in our church. And we're also asking in the midst of that, hey, what does it look like to traverse through this life as we go up and down the mountains and the valleys that God has with us? How do we do that with the Lord? How do we find restoration? How do we find God's presence? How do we find God's blessing? How do we find God in the midst of the highs and the lows of life, because it's really easy to lose him in either of those two seasons. And so as you see on the list on the screen of the previous topics, today we're hitting on celebration, which is so closely tied to restoration, which was actually the first sermon there of vision, um, that it's at times hard to tell the two apart. Like what's restoration? What is celebration? And we're going to dissect that a little bit today. But Uh, I want to begin by addressing the problem and why we even need to talk about this, particularly coming off of the Sermon on Lament. It's because we be some grumpy, non-celebratory people, right? Like for as much as we love feeling good, you would think we'd be better at celebrating, Uh, In fact, I think we're commanded in the scriptures so often to celebrate because we're bad at it. And as much as we desire the joy that rejoicing brings us, we tend to not rejoice in the way that the scriptures command us to. Uh, Words and commands such as rejoice or give thanks actually appear over 530 times in the Bible. And that's not even including commands like praise, which also bring forth our joy. And so when something is mentioned or commanded as much as that is, then you can probably assume both we need to hear it to remember the beautiful promises of it, and we're probably not as good at it as we should be. And I think there's a mixture of both of these in most of our worlds today. We need to hear the promises, and we need to learn to practice what celebration looks like. And so as mentioned in the Sabbath sermon, if you were here for that, our brains are hardwired to think about bad things at a rate of about 14 to 1. 
And the crazy thing is, is that that rate has increased over time as media has increased, which makes sense because we're fed more and more uh, wickedness and sorrow and depression and, and, and anger and all of this rage type of feeling. And so we're just prone to think about negative things. And so it would make sense that God would, in his scriptures, kind of lay out this command to rejoice because God is for our joy. And as important of a practice as lament is, like we talked about in last week's series, in times of trouble, it is equally, if not maybe even more important, to practice celebration on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis as we journey with our God, because God made us for joy. In fact, God has made us in his image. The scripture says, and our God is not a sterile, arms-folded, looking-like-Aunt-Cheryl type of God. I know some of y'all got them Aunt Cheryl's, right? Just wanting to be mean for no reason, you know? Um, uh, Edit that. My Aunt Cheryl can't see that, okay? She means. She don't watch anyway, so all right. Um, I don't know why why we paint God like this, right? Like like we tend to paint God in a non-celebratory way. No, God is celebratory, family. Like, look at him in the opening chapters of the Bible. At the end of almost every single day after God's creation, he looks back at what he has done and he says, it is good. We're made to celebrate like him, to look back every day and go, man, it is good and God is good. God has given good to me and I see the goodness of God in my life. Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17 says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult or dance over you with loud singing. Black church in heaven. I know some of y'all don't know what that's like, all right? But God is celebratory. And the new kingdom, which we'll talk about later, we see God being a celebratory God. In fact, even at the salvation of sinners, I know that a lot of us like to say the phrase that the angels rejoice in the heaven when one sinner comes to repentance But that's not really what that text actually says. Luke chapter 15, verse 10 says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Before the angels. So it's not the angels, somebody is rejoicing before them. Who is this? Is it not God who in the very next story of the prodigal son comes rushing out as a picture of the father to rejoice with the returned son and then throws a celebration in front of all of the servants like your God is a celebratory God, family. You serve a God who loves to have joy, joy over you and therefore joy for you because you're created in his image. And so if part of our restoration is imaging God, then part of what it means to be restored is to celebrate because your God has made you like him to enjoy good. Man, I hope that's good news for somebody off the jump today, right? Like God wants your joy. Okay, I'm already too lit. We're early in the sermon. Let's zoom in. All right, Psalm 23. That's where we've been at in this series, right? The good shepherd wanting to lead us ultimately towards him. And after the valley in verse four, we see him in verse five and six. Say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our God is leading us towards feast, 
towards joy, towards celebration, that after Joel 1 does indeed come Joel 2, and to learn to celebrate in the process of that journey is important as we see all of our restorations on earth until we reach our eternal and final restoration in heaven. In other words, if we do not learn how to celebrate, we will likely not see how we're being restored in the midst of this earth. And so if we're bad at it by fallen default, but if God desires this for us, and if this is a very picture of the restoration that God longs to have with us, then how do we find it? How do we become a celebratory people? Well, Psalm 126 cues us in on some clues here. This psalm begins here, a psalm of ascents. Now, what happened was between uh, Psalm 120 and Psalm 135, so 15 psalms there, there was actually these psalms of ascents. And what would happen is, is the people of Israel would once a year journey on this pilgrimage to go offer sacrifices and worship God in his temple. And so what they would do is they would come from all of these villages and they would go together as a community and Jerusalem was up on a hill. So they would literally ascend up the hill together and they would sing Psalm 120 all the way to Psalm 134. And so this is like a Joel 1 to Joel 2 sort of journey as they're going through whatever it is they might go through to go meet with God himself, to be restored by God. Now, this particular psalm was actually written after Israel had come back from exile. So they had experienced this season of being out of their land. And so now they're rejoicing because they're finally back in their land again. This is once again, Joel 1 to Joel 2 sort of imagery here. And we see all throughout this psalm that this restoration, though enjoyed, is not actually full. In fact, in verse one, you see them remembering this beauty and the goodness of God, but, but then in verse four, you see them requesting even more of God's presence and goodness, meaning they're celebrating on the way to Jerusalem. Point being is I think at times we wait for our life to be 100% restored before we allow ourselves to experience joy and celebration and restoration rather than enjoying God in the process. As we're ascending, whatever God might have for us, we kind of wait till we're all the way at the top to finally rejoice, rather than rejoicing on the way. And because we wait till we're 100%, we often get stuck on the way, and we don't see the joy that God has all around us, family. We don't see the day-to-day good. God didn't wait till day seven to celebrate, right? Like God celebrated in the midst of each season. It's okay to celebrate as you're ascending the mountains with God. In fact, as we talked about last week, about a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament because God provides space for our emotions, for the brokenness of this world so that we can express when things are not good. That is a good and beautiful thing. However, about 74 of the Psalms are songs of thanksgiving or celebration. So half of them, so a third is that of lament, but half of them are that of celebration and of joy. And there's all these commands to rejoice because God wants our joy and he knows that sorrow will come. So he lifts us in the midst of this sorrow. Or another way to say that is post lament, God desires your restoration family. Post-lament, God desires your celebration and joy, so much so that God himself commands it and commands us to have it. That may seem strange, but if any of you have kids, you know what it's like to command joy out of somebody. 
I remember when one of my girls, which I don't remember which one because we have like 7,048 of them, but one of my daughters, they were like one, and we hadn't fed them any sweets until like their first birthday. And so we put a cupcake before them, and we're all singing, and then they start crying because they're confused. Like, why are you all yelling at me, right? And why is there fire in my face, okay? And so we blew it out, and then we start telling them like, hey, eat the cupcake. You're going to like it. And they kind of like touched it and was afraid of it, and they didn't want to eat it. And they kept kind of like looking at it, and I'm like, hey, like, like eat the cupcake. Hey, like, eat, girl, eat the cupcake. <laughs> right? Like, all our friends are here, they're looking at it, I'm like, eat the cupcake, you're embarrassing me, all right? And so, though not in full, I think God is commanding us the same sort of thing, y'all. He's like, hey, I'm putting these cupcakes before you. Like, eat them. Enjoy. There's good all around you. As you're ascending into the place of worship, be looking out for the blessings and gifts of God. God is for your joy, family. And so if celebration is a part of restoration, what does it look like to celebrate on the way as we ascend? How does the scripture tell us to celebrate? Well, there are three things that are mentioned in this psalm that I think actually traverse most of the understanding of how we can produce more celebration, more joy in our life. And the first thing that is mentioned is how we celebrate is that of remembrance. As we remember God's goodness, we're more likely to rejoice and to celebrate and to find restoration for our souls. Notice the tenses in the first section of this psalm when God restored, past tense, or then, or was, etc. So they're looking back at this historical time, remembering God's faithfulness, and that is bringing about celebration today. In fact, all throughout the Old Testament, God established all of these festivals for the Israelites to be able to celebrate. God literally commanding times to stop working and to not lament and to celebrate the goodness of God. Most of these festivals are remembering God's deliverance or God's provision or God's presence in their life. In fact, if you think of Passover, if you're familiar with it, we're actually called to celebrate right in the midst of some really severe trial. Like they're being delivered from Egypt and God's like, hey, wait a minute and celebrate because your God is on the move. We're called to celebrate the goodness of God. In other words, even in seasons of lament, God wants there to be celebration because he wants us to be able to see through the trial to see how he's restoring us, maybe even by that trial. If that doesn't change lament, I don't wanna forsake last week, like still apply that sermon fully, but maybe this is one of the ways that God helps us not get stuck in lament, like we talked about last week. Notice they're remembering, verse one, what? The Lord. They're not remembering all these gifts of God. They're remembering God himself, how he restored the fountains or, or the, for, the fortunes of Zion. God's people, in other words, could not manufacture this restoration or this resurrection or, or this renewal. Like the Lord is the one that sent it. So he delivers and he blesses and he's the one that truly restores. We can find partial fulfillments without the Lord, but only in the mercies and the grace of God will we find this true soul, deep restoration that all of our hearts desire. And within it, this great joy and celebration that nothing on earth can satisfy. This type of joy and celebration has to come from God himself. Trinkets will not manufacture this in you, family. And that's what we tend to look for celebration in is all of our possessions and things. But, but what if, if we truly learn how to come to God and remember the goodness of God? Like what if there's a joy that most of us can't even imagine? 
This is what I believe the scriptures highlight. And it's good to remember the provisional blessings that are from God, but it is better, I believe, to remember the dream-like ways that God has been moving in our life that produces this celebration. Notice in this text, the writer wasn't even there for this restoration, right? Like, but he's beginning to remember so much that he's identifying himself as if he was there in Israel's old deliverance. He begins to use words like we or like our mouth. And so this remembrance is bringing this present celebration because he understands that thinking about God's original redemption while not directly attached to the writer himself is a part of the writer's restoration. And the same is true for us today, y'all. Like, are you following that? Like, like none of us were there at the cross of Christ. And yet that restoration is for us, is it not? So that as we remember, we go, yo, that was for me as if I was there under the cross receiving the blood of Jesus myself. Paul planting churches and suffering, none of us were there, but in God's provision and in his foresight, he knew that that suffering would be for you today. We remember family because we see God's hand. And as we see God's hand, we celebrate his goodness and we begin to receive more of God. And that produces joy, unimaginable family, unimaginable as we remember God's goodness. I think as we learn to celebrate God's past faithfulness, I wonder if we would actually see how much he's really restoring our life today. Like, I wonder if we would recognize it more clearly because we're used to celebrating and then we see all the ways that he's moving in our life. Notice again in verse one, God's past restoration, it was like remarkable. The people had to like pinch themselves to see if they were dreaming. That would sound like a really cheesy Christian lyric today, wouldn't it? like, God's grace is so good. I had to pinch myself to see if I was dreaming. I was trying to think of a way to rhyme that. I couldn't. But they're singing, right? And this is true. Like God's past restoration, it was like overwhelming. I don't know what I was playing either. I know some of y'all musicians were like, what was that? It was a ukulele, all right? Listen, the same is true for us in Christ, is it not? Like, like, in fact, isn't it even more true for us in Christ than it was for them back in the day? This writer is remembering and is producing this, this laughter, it says, and this joy because they're celebrating all of their deliverance. And so the remembrance of the past laughter of the saints as they're being delivered through the Exodus is bringing this present laughter and this present celebration, which is a sign and a mark of God's restoration because in order to receive God's restoring power in our life, we have to receive it with joy or else we're not gonna recognize it's coming. And so remembrance puts us in the place to be restored, family. Like laughter is good. You do know that, right? Like it literally helps you live longer, get sick less. And celebration, seeing how God has restored, I believe you can begin to practice this and just receive the goodness of God as you remember his faithfulness in your life. As y'all know, this past season was hard for me. And one of the things that was a big turning point, and I couldn't put my finger on it until I stopped and Sabbath and remember some of God's goodness, was this night that we played poker at Chris Henry's house actually. And there were several guys that played together and we just laughed like the entire night. And it was also a lot better because I think if I remember right, I won, yeah? Okay, right. Right, and we just were like laughing and having this good time. And I was in the middle of a really, really hard season, but like laughing and remembering began to produce this like, oh yeah, that's right. God is good despite this hard season. 
I think about the historical black church that has done this so very well that in the midst of all of this trial, as you think about the history of of my people in America, yet and still you would go into the church and there would be all of this joy and all of this celebration, like, like songs about God's goodness and his faithfulness that despite suffering, they're remembering the goodness of God, right? Like when I think of his goodness and what he's done for me, Y'all ain't grew up in black church? I heard somebody. <laughs> Think of his goodness and how he set me free. I want to run, 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 run. Wow. You catch the Holy Spirit, right? I think about churches overseas, if you've ever been there. And there's so much suffering in the midst of that, suffering way more than we can imagine. And yet there's all of this joy that is overwhelming, y'all. Why? Why do they have this celebration, this joy? It's because they're remembering the goodness and the faithfulness of God. As you remember, it produces joy, laughter, celebration. And the reason it does is because you know if he was faithful then, he'll be faithful today because God does not change. He does not change. This joy is turning into the blessings for the nations, it says in verse two. Like for those who don't know God, when they see their joy, they're like, yo, what the heck is going on? I want God like that. It's literally an evangelistic witness to the world around us. I remember growing up as a non-Christian and I met these cranky to death old Christians. And I was like, I don't want anything to do with that God, right? And it was literally an anti-witness because I didn't want what they had. They seemed cranky, like, like not good. I'm like, I'm finding good in the world. Why would I want this? Our, uh, our celebration becomes a witness to the world around us. Once again, we are made for joy. That's not saying that we can't be sad, beloved. No, once again, last week, we can be sad. Last week isn't not true because of this reality. However, even in the sorrow, there's something different for the Christian that learns how to practice this because through their tears, they can see the images of what is to come and that produces joy. That says that no matter what happens on earth, you cannot steal what is inside of me. And remembering allows us to meditate on that, to sit in that, to receive the goodness of God. This joy that transcends understanding, this singing in the jail cells, there's something beautiful about this. And this isn't prosperity gospel either. In fact, this is where it turns from the prosperity gospel because those who practice the prosperity gospel, which most of us are actually tempted to do, whether or not we think our theology is straight, we tend to cheapen this joy into this temporal happiness, allowing shallow things to produce laughter in our life. And this is fine, right? Like, like you should laugh. You should be joyful when God blesses you. Like, like don't get a raise and be like, nope, I ain't gonna smile. No idolatry for me, right? <laughs> Like, no, however, if that raise is the biggest smile that ever comes from your mouth, then we're missing the depth that you can have in Christ, family. We're trading soul-bought happiness, bought by the blood of Christ, for temporal happiness, and the psalmist doesn't do this. They're happy not because they're back in the land receiving these temporal blessings, but because they're connected to God in worship. Look at the text again, the Lord or, or Zion, he says, or, or the Lord, like, like all of this is about God. True happiness comes when we are most rooted in our King Jesus, as we've been saying this entire series. Y'all, as we remember Christ, we remember Christ. And then we receive Christ and we receive joy that nothing else could ever compare to. And so part of celebration is remembering 
And part of remembering is remembering how God has restored you in the past. Now, I spend the most time on this one because I think it's the one that we tend to not do as well. But I do want to show us how even our lack of remembrance impacts these next two realities. And one of the things that we need to know is that we should never read the Bible as simple history, as philosophers, as historians, as admirers only. We should read the Bible as prayer warriors and as missionaries. We should long for God to do it again because we know that he does not change and so he can do it again. And so part of how we uh, find restoration and celebration is not just by looking back, but it's number two, we begin to request. We pray, we ask for God for this sort of restoration again in our life, family. Notice in verse four, the writer turns the past works of God from verse one into these prayer requests here. God has already restored, but this is simply producing a desire for God to do that much more restoration, which I think is good if rightly applied. The psalmist is asking God to produce this dreamlike restoration again that they experience in verse one. In fact, in verse one, he says it's a, it's a dream, but, but here he compares it to these, uh, uh, the, the streams of the Negev, it says. That, that in the midst of a desert, there would be these wildflowers that are being produced. That which you see on the screen is where David was talking about. It's in the middle of a desert. And God's like, yo, that's what, or David's like, that's what my life feels like. God, can you produce wildflowers here? But he's not asking it theoretically. He's asking it in an anticipatory way saying, I know that God can do that that he could begin to produce flowers where it makes no sense to have these flowers. Y'all might look at that and be like, that's what my life feels like ever since 2022. And it may be. Are you asking God to come and to bring restoration, to bring celebration in the midst of this trial? This type of restoration is possible with God. God wants to bestow blessing upon his people, mainly the blessing of himself. In fact, Tony Merida, he said it in this way. He's a pastor and author in the Carolinas. And he said, we may indeed want to pray something like this. We're dry, Lord, like a desert. Please send the rain and cause us to flourish again. If the Lord sends the rain, the desert can be transformed into place, a place of grass, flowers, and fruit overnight. We can ask God for this. In fact, remembering should actually fuel the very motivation for us to make requests like this because if God has done all of this restoration and all of these saints' life throughout all of history, has God changed? Or does he wanna do it in your life as well? You see, the writer wants this restoration, not just a little bit, y'all, but in full. This dream-like restoration, these deserts to waters type of restoration, these seeds to harvest sort of restoration. In fact, every time that joy is mentioned in this Psalm, it's not just joy, it's shouts of joy is what this writer says. But we have to practice celebration to intentionally remember and then to desire God to move even more, not to be content with the mediocrity of life while celebrating the goodness of God, even in the midst of the mediocrity, like there's a balance and attention here this writer is asking for. Richard Foster, who was a famous author and wrote a book called The Celebration of Discipline. It's about how to practice spiritual disciplines. And in the discipline of celebration, which he puts as a spiritual discipline, like something we need to practice and do, he says this, 
He says, the decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. That is why celebration is a discipline. It is not something that just falls on our head. It is the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and of living. We have to be intentional to celebrate. And this is how we begin to recognize the restoration around us, which moves to our third point. How do we celebrate? Well, we remember, we request, and then we sow. You thought I was going to alliterate, didn't you? I'm not going to front. I tried. But my farming vocabulary isn't broad enough to turn that S into an R. So if you're like thesaurus.com in your head, you can change the notes, all right? So R-R-S. Just as we can't cause rain, we cannot cause the Lord's restoration. We have to request it, number two. However, there are things you can do in the midst of this request. You can sow. There are ways by which you can receive more joy and restoration. And this is where most of us, I think, don't even begin to grasp the depths of the beauty of Scripture, which begins to produce joy in the midst of sorrow. The language is all throughout the Scripture. And this psalmist says, you sow in tears and you reap back joy. So you plant tiny seeds and then a harvest begins to come forth. This is what restoration looks like and it should produce this celebration as it is happening. What this text is saying is that you take the suffering and you sow that suffering back into the ground. You give it to God and you can expect from God joy in return. That's wild. Like there's more of Jesus to be had. You know that, right? You are only scratching the surface of the depth that you could have in Christ Jesus. He is joy. He is restoration, not a bunch of things in right circumstances around us. And God is so good to us that even now, even if we are in sorrow, God longs to give us joy, beloved. This depth with him, as we sow, we should believe in God's goodness and this should create within us jubilee. This is Paul's whole theology in 2 Corinthians chapter four. Go read that text this week if you wanna see that more. Crushed, dying, Paul says, and yet knowing that God is good enough that in the midst of that crushing, he's actually bringing forth this life. Do not be afraid to sow, family. Like we talked about last week with lament, But look at what it produces when we sow well. If you are in Christ, if you sow on the wet grounds of tear-filled sorrow, you will reap joy in the bright summer sun. Do you see that transformation, family? Like you sow in sorrow and you reap in joy. Listen, I might need to go off on this one for a second. No farmer when he sows seed in the ground, thinks that he's going to lose that seed. He hopes as he sows that it produces a bigger harvest and he believes that it will because he knows the ground. Do we dare trust the ground more than God? Is God not a better multiplier than the ground? Like does God's grace not give a larger payout than that of nature that he created himself? The ground may give an abundance, 40-fold, a hundredfold even, but in heaven, because of the promises of Christ, we know that God can take this sorrow and multiply it, family. This is good news. The Lord gives a greater harvest, and this is a reason to celebrate, family. 
In other words, we remember in the past, we ask in the present, but we sow into our future. We believe that God is wasting nothing, not even our tears that our tears become fertilizer for the blessing of God to be received and to receive him in more full. Listen, because we do this, and if we do this, we're quicker to see the Joel 2-like restoration when it is around us. Like, I don't know, maybe life just be hard for me sometimes. This text had me lit this week, right? Like in the midst of hardness, y'all, we can see God's goodness. Do you know what I'm saying? Like as you're sowing in tears, it comes out in life. This is the picture of God. Meaning even if your whole entire life is filled with nothing but laments, maybe that manure in your life will be the feed that will sprout the eternal flowers that you will have for the rest of your existence, family. Like no matter what type of suffering is created on earth, there is good coming and this should be rejoiceful. It should produce in a celebration greater than any pleasure. In fact, greater than all the pleasures on earth combined is what God has for those who love him. This is the hope for us in Christ, which allows us to celebrate the tiny blessings today. And it allows us to celebrate even in the midst of our sorrow. It's interesting to me, the Bible paints this picture over and over and over again, that you reap what you sow. And that's true. All throughout the scripture, you sow deceit, you're gonna reap negative back. You sow in sin, you're going to reap death back. But when the Lord comes in, what you sow gets utterly transformed. Like, and that transformation is captivity to Zion. It's deserts to streams. It is, it is this, this dream-like state, these tears to this joy, this seed to these sheaves. That's what God desires to do. Isaiah 55, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament. And he says this in verse six, he says, seek the Lord, right? We ain't seeking the things of God. We're seeking God himself. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. And then look what happens when you do that. Verse 13, instead of thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that will not be cut off. In other words, you're sowing in these thorns and somehow is transforming into these forest trees. That's what happens when God is in the picture. This Psalm is modeled after David's life that began with a dream and it ended with him providing these sheaves for his brother in the famine. And that's the story of all the scripture, is it not? That there's this old and barren, and yet it ends with the promised child being born. That there's this young and unthought of, and yet it ends with the king of Israel. That there's this Gentile woman, and yet it ends with her being the mother of David and ultimately the mother of the Messiah. You could do this all throughout the scripture because God takes these sorrows, and when he jumps in the picture, it transforms into something totally different. And we sow into that. Each of these things, as we remember the reality of God and ask for God to move, as we are even sowing in tears, it should begin to bubble up within us this celebration in life because where God is, things transform, family. And our very salvation is a evidence to that. Our very salvation is the evidence that God does this. So we intentionally sow into his hand and we know that restoration will come from that. And we allow this to produce present celebration and present joy. And celebration is not ignoring tears. It is actually seeing through them to the goodness of God. 
And while this Psalm is beautiful, it is only scratching the surface for what is true for us if we are in Christ Jesus. We have a much greater reason to celebrate than this writer did of this Psalm because we have a much greater remembrance, a much greater confidence that God does indeed answer prayers and a much richer hope that what will happen to us will be restored at the end because of our King Jesus. Jesus is our great example of celebration, is he not? Like he's the ultimate celebrator. In fact, he was accused of being with drunkens and, and tax collectors that he himself was a glutton and a drunkard, it says. And while that's not true, it's clear that Jesus was around these moments of celebration, despite knowing that the cross was coming, despite knowing that his life had all of this tear-filled moment, that he had no place to even lay his head. And yet here is the son of man celebrating why? Well, because he remembered often. Go read John 8 for context. He asked God in the midst of the suffering, look at all the prayers and what he's even praying for in the midst of scripture. And Jesus himself was our example of sowing and reaping because he sowed in tears and blood and he reaped back a harvest of you. This is where it gets wild, y'all. Listen, Jesus died as the ultimate seed that went into the ground. And as he died, he was buried. And that seed was terminated, was dead, was gone. And yet this seed begins to resurrect. And it doesn't just produce 40-fold, and it doesn't just produce 100-fold, but it produces billions upon billions of souls that call upon him. What a wild transformation that because God was in this and because Jesus was God himself at his death, it produced this life everlasting that through these tears of sorrow, there is joy and Jesus's joy is you, family. That is unbelievable. And that by itself should produce this joy. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, one of my wife's favorite verses. says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Christ had joy despite the cross, y'all, knowing that there he was going to face the wrath of God. There was still celebration being put out. Why? Because he knew if he sowed in sorrow, he would reap you, family. And if this is true for Christ, and we are now in Christ, then is this not true for you as well? That as you sow, in sorrow even, will God not turn that into blessing and into joy? There is celebration that can be had even in the midst of suffering, family. And so from simple practices like, like gratitude and laughter to more disciplined efforts, like intentional seasons of joy, like how God set up for the Israelites with the festivals, we often forget that the bridegroom is ours. But if you remember that, it should produce joy everlasting. And so three quick ways to practice celebration, even today and this week. How can we practice these things? Look back, request more, and then sow in hope. First, just as a practical thing, how do I do this? Um, do you remember your salvation, y'all? Like, I know for some of you, your mothers essentially gave birth on the church altar. You don't remember being saved. <laughs> but for those of us who got saved later, can you remember what it was like? Like, do you remember what it meant to go from death to life, family, life everlasting? Often we're lacking celebration because we're not remembering the most pinnacle things of our life. 
like our very salvation. We forget how much deliverance God has done. But even if we've been in Christ for years, do you know how much deliverance he's done since you've come to faith? Like, has God not delivered you from troubles and from depression and from wicked people who want to do you harm and from backsliding and from doubt and from addiction? I wish I had a few witnesses today. God has been delivering you, family. Remember that and rejoice at the goodness of Christ, right? If we rejoice at every emancipation that Christ gives his people, we would be a celebratory people because he frees you day after day after day. And so let us remember, look back right? Pinch yourself. You ain't dreaming, y'all. Like this is the life for those of us in Christ. Thank him. Secondly, notice in this text, it says our mouth of laughter, our mouths of joy. This language that's driving home in this text is this communal celebration. In other words, we experience the goodness of God together. There are no I's or me's in this whole psalm. And so celebration is meant to be a corporate thing. It's because it has this contagious effect on people. That's why gathering is so important because we're reminding each other of the goodness of God and then creating requests together to see God do that more. And when you celebrate corporately, it helps you remember this truth. So be in community, encourage each other in this truth. Like have fun together, y'all. Eat good meals together Be like Jesus and enjoy the people that are around you. If Jesus could enjoy his ratchet disciples, you can enjoy us, y'all. Because them dudes was ratchet, right? And find people who celebrate well. Ask them to help you to celebrate. But don't just play games and laugh. Yes, do this. But even more, while in worship, even this afternoon, or this, oh, wow, I went back to Westover. The end of this morning, right? Like, as you are worshiping, ask for more of Jesus, y'all. There's more of Jesus to be had. Dream-like joy can be yours. And then finally, the future. We sow, right? This is where the sermon last week comes in, where we lament in times of sorrow and in times of trouble. But as we go through that journey of lamenting, the very last thing we talked about last week was that of trust. That lament is meant to drive home a deeper trust of God. And as you practice that, begin to see how all of these tears, how these losses on earth are really just investments into eternity. That every time you lose, you're not actually losing, y'all, you're gaining. And as you see God's faithfulness and you believe in his promise, allow that to produce joy in your life. Ultimately learning how to celebrate deeply, not just surface level wins, but true heart joy. This changes our personal lives. This changes the world around us, family of God. This begins to become a witness to earth and a witness to us that what we have in Christ is real, true, and good. And I pray that we would forever be a celebratory church because we're rightly looking back at the faithfulness and the deliverance of God. We're wanting more good in our life, but not just trinkets and toys, but more of Christ himself. And we remind each other that even if we reap in nothing but endless sorrow, it will turn to joy for those of us in Christ Jesus. Would we forever be a church that reminds each other of that very truth? Amen. Amen. And I love you guys like crazy. Thank you for helping me celebrate God's goodness on a week-to-week basis. I love y'all. Let's pray together. Precious Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. 
At your right hand, that's you, Jesus, at your right hand, Father, are pleasures forevermore. God, I pray that we would experience your right hand. You, Christ, where pleasures are, where celebration is, where even in sorrow you transform it into joy. God, I pray that we would not be a people without hope. I pray that we would learn to sow tears well so that we can reap forth joy. I pray we would learn to remember, Father. God, would you teach us to rightly enjoy the things that are from your hand, but to enjoy you who is superior than all the things that you give. God, for those of us in this room who whom we may have come in not sure of our relationship with you, friend, I want you to know that you can have Jesus today. This joy I am talking about is not fake. It transforms your life, that you can have the God of the universe dwelling in your soul, living with you forever, taking all of the pain and resurrecting it into joy one day, that this God is not a fairy tale God, he is real. And then as you believe in him, as you say, Jesus, I want you, I want to follow you. This God can be yours. Put your faith in Christ today, friends. And God, I pray for all of us who have placed our faith in you in that way. Would you remind us of our salvation? Would you cause us to ask for more, more of you, Jesus? And would you teach us to sow in tears that we might reap joy? We love you, Christ. We praise things in your beautiful name. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.